welcome to Movie Flex Double Features, the podcast who believes the only thing more important than an auteur is leg day. I'm one of your hosts, Estebs, uh, here as always with your other host, Matt, aka The Posting Pro. Matt, how are you doing? Yo, I'm doing good. Had leg day uh, yesterday, so just recovering from that, but how are you guys? Great. We're great. I have to mention, guys, I'm super like excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll introduce you, brother. I'm introducing you because I have to because he's awesome. Uh, we have another guest this week from the group chat. Uh, it's our friend at Uzumaki, a.k.a. Travis. Travis, how you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Here in Colorado, we just had uh, some snow this weekend, a uh, week before June, so stoked about that. Oh, sick. Yeah, that's nice. like biblical. <laughs> it was like 90 degrees, and then the next day we got like six inches of snow, so it was pretty tight. Hell yeah. I just watched like a Japanese horror movie where like it, where they talk about it's like uh, winter in May, it's snowing in May, and that's like supposed to be like a <laughs> like, a, like an apocalyptic <laughs> fucked up thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. Uh, yes. We have we have fires in Colorado all winter. Like half of the surrounding areas get burned down, and then all of a sudden it's snowing during the middle of summer. Yeah, it's like it's perfect. That's like that's totally normal. <laughs> that's how like the Earth has always been. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, that's great. just normal. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm super excited this week. We have a pair of movies from Matt. Uh, I've been racking my brain thinking of like the hidden connection. We will get to it. We're gonna get to baseball. First, though, you know, up front, I like to riff a little. And this week, I wanted to talk about uh, theatrical comedies. And I wanted to ask you guys about some of your favorite moments watching comedies in theaters. Um, just because, like, you know, I was talking to about, uh, talking to it uh, with it about Matt uh, off pod. And, uh, you know, it's not like a mystery as to why they don't make these movies anymore. Like... There's a book called The Big Picture by Ben Fritz, which we'll get into. But basically, he explains that, you know, in the 2000s, studios were making a lot of money from physical media, and they were basically taking that money and using it to um, fund, like, all of these, like, middle-budget, more adult fair themed fair, right? So, like, your Michael Clayton's, your comedies, whatever. So that dries up, and at the same time, the international box office, like, overtakes the domestic box office in terms of revenue so the uh, studios are thinking more from more about like the international consumer and less about the american film goer, right and of course historically comedies haven't exported well because they're so specific to the culture they're from so it's easy to see like you know how they just don't get made anymore um that's why everything's like actiony and uh you know ip basically because that stuff translates well and it made me realize like it made me really mad because it made me realize that like i was missing something that i didn't realize i was missing which was like seeing comedies in theaters with a big group of people like opening night you know i have all these memories of seeing like countless movies like jackass was a big one all those like original movies borat's a really good one because i remember like seeing the original with my brothers thinking it was really funny and then when the new one came out not only is it not as good, but, like, I was watching it alone on my couch. Like, it just was really shitty. Uh, so, to make myself feel better, I just started thinking of, like, all the good times I've had laughing in theaters. And, uh, one, like, probably my, like, fondest memory is I was going to college in Austin. And at, 
back in the 2000s and like uh observe and report had its uh premiere at south by and i was able to go somehow i don't remember but like the cast was there and like seth rogan was sitting right behind me and like i was like listening to him laugh at himself the whole movie and it was like this insane surreal experience it was really fun i got to hang out with danny mcbride after uh and yeah like i said i just really miss those like moments i miss those like that was a big reason why i went to the theater was just to like hang out and laugh uh so yeah i wanted to ask you guys what are some of your favorite theater moments when it comes to seeing comedies funny movies or movies that aren't funny but like they were funny to you you know yeah i just uh when you when you asked me that this morning i was the first thing that came to my mind i think just having seen uh everything everywhere it I i was thinking about it recently but I remember in high school when uh, Swiss Army Man came out, and my fr- I had not heard anything about it, and so my friend picked me up. He said, hey, you got, you're going to come with me to see this movie. He's like, don't look up anything about it. Don't watch the trailer, nothing. So I went totally blind into that movie, and I remember that first the first scene of uh, Paul Dano riding Daniel Radcliffe like a jet ski. Oh, yeah. It was one of my, fav- one of my favorite movie theater just shocks of all time. Yeah, I very <clears throat> I still never got around to seeing it, but I like yeah, uh I saw that director like defending his movie and he was like, "Hey, if you guys weren't here for us back then, you're not real fans." And I was like, <laughs> "Man, shit. I, I that sucks." I guess I'm not Yeah. Real I, fan. <laughs> I never I never saw it either. Um, you know, when everyone was like, "You need to see this everything everywhere all at once. It's like the best movie ever." And then like film Twitter, you know, quote unquote, like just hated it. I was like, all right, let's see it. And then I watched it and absolutely loved it. So it's like, maybe I should go back and watch the Swiss Army Man. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, Yeah, we we talked about that too, about like uh, disagreeing largely with film Twitter a lot. Like, (laughs) and being like, well, if they like something, maybe I'm not going to see it because I don't don't agree with them a lot, you know? Sure. Yeah. um, Oh, but for comedies, though, for me, so of course recency bias plays into it but i saw at a pretty late screening i saw jackass forever Mm. and um i had never seen anything like i've seen clips from jackass on like scrolling the tv or something you know yeah but i'd never watched like a full clip of jackass i never watched jackass on tv never watched it on youtube never watched any of the movies um and so people were like you need to go see this jackass forever it's great I watched it and that's like the hardest I've laughed in like a movie in a long time. Yeah. Um, so there's still some, thank goodness there's still some comedies being made. Um, but uh, the only other thing that I can think of off the top of my head, that was like a theatrical comedy that I went to go see that I was like, really enjoyed the experience of was um, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. I saw that like, mm-hmm. that was one of the ones because, Stephen, you always talk about how you see movies when you're way too young, you know? Yeah. Not way too young, but, like, movies that shouldn't be seen at those, those ages. Um, and I saw that in, like, beginning of middle school, I believe. My sister took me to a theater. Mm. It was, like, an art house theater, which is kind of weird that it was playing on a routine. But it was the only theater around. We walked in, and, and um, we were so excited. Like, we, you know, she had showed us the show we were too young for the show and she was like, let's watch this. And I was telling you um, as well that, that you posted a picture a while back of the, the old, like the let's all go to the movies, the oh, yeah, yeah. concession singing. And I just remember the, uh, 
uh, like the the junk food, like the fucked up looking like green burger or whatever, being like, "We already have your fucking money!" <laughs> like screaming, <laughs> like, yeah, it's a great, it was a great experience. But like to to kind of talk about that topic, you know, you and I talked about it last night. There was a lot of reasons why, because Hollywood takes the wrong lessons, you know, from every thing. And one of the reasons why um, comedies aren't made as much is because they just made this like huge influx of like really bad ones really quickly. And I think, you know, there was like a, like a, a solid three months or four months where I was constantly going to the movies and seeing like Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, like Dwayne Johnson comedies that were coming out. And like, none of them were good. They were all poorly reviewed. Like no one really went to go see them. So they're kind of all flops and they just kept making these movies for some reason. And then, um, you know, Hollywood was like, well, I guess all, no one likes comedies anymore. It's like, well, calm down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, they, Studios would would hope that comedies would go the way of horror, where you can make them cheaply and with low effort, and they'll still make big bucks at the box office. But that's not true. And you actually, you know, you can make a comedy on a small budget, but you actually do need to write a good comedy, and yeah. you can't just crank one out. You know, and if you're going to pump a, a ton of time and money into a movie as a studio, why not go for the big box office stuff like action? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you know, comedies don't translate. Well, I'm sure like you guys have like tried to watch like a French comedy or something like the only, uh, the only exception is like physical comedy that always translates really well. That's why Char- Chaplin was like, you know, a megastar um, like that. That does well, you know, Three Stooges and stuff. But like I said, the only equivalent to that is Jackass. And like, yeah, we got the Jackass movie this year, but it was like the first one in 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I remember back in the day, like seeing stepbrothers in theaters you know i i remember like seeing super bad and like it's kind of like because you have to imagine a world where like nobody knows what mclovin is right like you've never <laughs> heard of it you get knocked on the head Whoa. and so you're like in a room full of people and then like this guy's just like mclovin like it's so hard to describe how funny that was you know like <laughs> on a friday night to a, a the biggest theater possible and it's so funny because like uh there's the scene at the end where like uh Evan, uh, Michael Sarah, like, you know, he, like, turns the girl down and she, like, throws up on him. Like, as soon as that scene happened, the fire alarm went off in the theater. So, like, all the lights came on and everyone had to, like, exit, but no one wanted to because, like, we wanted to watch the movie and it was almost over. Um, But they made us leave and we all got free tickets. So, like, I immediately came back the next day and saw it because I was like, I, I don't, like, watching movies multiple times in theaters generally but with comedies i was like yeah it's fun it's like like i said i you have to like imagine a world where no one's seen that movie it's the same thing with Borat. you know what also i think what also killed comedy kind of like as a genre itself in theaters like the theatrical theatrically released comedies was um it wasn't just like you know it was kind of like that the the ones I was telling you about were kind of the final nail in the coffin, but I think it started to go downhill with when they started making all those parody films where it was just like superhero movie. And, and so like scary movie was great, right? Like scary movie yeah, one and two. two I still, really good. Yeah. I still kind of Epic like, hold on to the, but then they, they're like, let's make, room. yeah. Epic movie. They made like superhero movie. They made like all these parody films that were really bad. Like they weren't, funny they weren't trying to be funny you know and and Hmm. um 
those things kind of like <laughs> would come out in theaters and people didn't like them and they were like, okay. And then again, Hollywood was kind of like, I guess people hate comedies instead of taking the, yeah. you no, know, maybe people hate these parody movies that are not well thought out and put together on a shoestring budget. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Sorry, technical difficulties. We use Craigbot. Craigbot, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find what cave you live in. I'm going to hunt you down in the depths of the freaking Yukon, motherfucker. I hate you, you stupid I can't, I can't let you do that, Steven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I but, but yeah. Larry and Jihad, but just for Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? dude. Okay, Craig, you little fucker. Don't fuck up. Okay, so with that said, let's dive into this week's movies. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, all right, this week's movies: Field of Dreams, Bull Durham. Uh, Matt, if you want to intro these movies a little bit, and then uh, Trav, we can get your thoughts on um, Field of Dreams, nineteen eighty nine, directed by Phil Alden Robinson. The other big thing he does is the Sum of All Fears with uh, Affleck as Jack Ryan. His first screenplay was Rhinestone with um, Stallone and Do- Dolly Parton, which is an amazing movie. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Matt, intro us. Okay, so since we already blew the big reveal of why I chose these two movies on the <clears throat> failed recording, I'll just go ahead and say, so both baseball movies, both Kevin Costner films, um, I picked, I said, specifically, you guys need to watch Field of Dreams and then Bull Durham. Um, and the themes, you know, the first two themes, like I said, baseball, Kevin Costner. The third theme is um, spirituality in baseball. Mm-hmm. That goes across both of them but um field of dreams is more of a inherently spiritual film whereas uh bull durham is a more sobering look at the harsh realities of baseball specifically the minor league system it's bull durham's a funny film right it's a good you know they're both good movies but um yeah like i said field of dreams is a more um ethereal more spiritual look at and baseball and bull durham has that at the beginning but then there's this sobering reality towards the end that you kind of uh you kind of realize like baseball's a business and you know not you know everyone's got love of the sport who plays it but like at the same time not everyone can make it um you know and field of dreams has more some of that too but it's more of a redemption of people who can't make it you know it's more like idealism versus disillusionment or like practicality you know the harsh realities versus the the dream because i know that's also like a a criticism of this movie is that it kind of overlooks some of the harsher realities of baseball uh i don't know i just saw that in one of the reviews i didn't i thought it was bullshit so i didn't read the whole thing (laughs) um but uh yeah i'm sure you know i'm sure there's stuff that you could say about it yeah, yeah so big, oh go ahead travis i think a big difference between the two films on that level is uh you know in field, in field of dreams we'll we'll talk more specifically about it but archie graham finally has that redemptive chance to play with with the big leaguers to play with shoeless joe whereas mm-hmm. in bull durham crash davis never gets that chance even even mm-hmm. through all the spirituality and the love of the game he never he never gets redeemed yeah he doesn't make it in the show right like that's a big that's a big thing yeah. he always talks about the show He's like you, you know, you might, you may be hot shit meat, but you're not, you know, 
you're going to watch it in the show. They're going to like tee off of you, basically, is what he tells the the up and coming pitcher. But yeah, Field of Dreams. We're going to start with that one. Uh, Like I said, the more spiritually, um, you know, spiritually enriching one. It's a five for me. Um, I picked this movie. It's a deeply personal movie. I said uh, earlier that I think it's uh, if you take if you were to consider like the great American novel, right, as a concept, if you were to like think of the great American movie, I believe this is one of the great American movies. It's completely Americana. It's about our history and, um, you know, baseball as a piece of our history, how things change, America changes. It has to reconcile with the past a lot of times, but baseball is a constant, you know, there's, uh, a lot of people who play baseball, who love baseball, who are, have this childlike wonderment with regards to baseball. And, you know, that's a big, it's a big theme as well. Cause I mean, this, this movie does also deal with a lot of like, you know, failed, failed things like, um, like the, the sixties, right. Like fighting for civil rights and for trying to make things more economical for everybody. And, and, you know, it, it has to do with a lot of the disillusionment of, um, you know, that yeah, it generation. Deals with, the, deals with the sort of emotional fallout that, you know, I'm speaking way out of my age league. But, uh, you know, the, the sort of emotional fallout that came with, with Reagan in the 80s, of, you know, the times of being a, a hippy-dippy and, and, you know, peace, love, read Terrence Mann, those are gone. And, you know, they have to buy a farm and all of a sudden the bank, the bank is breathing down their necks. And this movie is about a way to believe in something that, that transcends the, the sort of neoliberal quote unquote future that was awaiting the, the Kinsella's. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned that, you know, when I was trying to like connect this movie with the bull Durham, you know, both have very, like you said, very like uh clear, like themes of faith, like <clears throat> bull Durham opens with a soliloquy from, you know, Susan Sarandon, like, you know, literally talking about baseball as a religion this has very more like traditional christian thematic religious themes um but you know tied in with like you know baseball again very american very like christian you know like uh just humble pie like or apple pie you know just like classic (laughs) kevin costner it's kevin costner um like i said i really love this movie uh i have to be honest i avoided it because on the one hand, it is one of those movies that has been parodied, that has been satirized, referenced a lot, spoofed. At the same time, like, um, you know, I didn't know my father. I didn't have, basically didn't have one. Uh, still don't. And just, <clears throat> so I avoided it because I knew it was a very, like, dad movie. and it, um, Or at least I thought so. And then when I watched it, like I said, he talks about, it's not so i mean it is very much a dad movie it does it is like dealing with his his father's uh, issues but uh which i which i have so i can relate on that level but at the same time you know he was just very close to his dad and you know as someone who's very close to my mom i get what that's like when you're like i only have one parent so they're like my whole life you know um mm-hmm. and, and that happens like a couple of minutes into the movie and uh you know, it, it 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 this movie got me really emotional. I'm not gonna lie, it fucked me up. It, I was crying a lot toward the end. Uh, um, and uh, I do have some theories. I do have some pet theories. My my like tongue in cheek theory is that uh, the voice that 
speaks to him sounds exactly like uh the devil in um the last temptation of christ <laughs> uh and black philip in uh the witch uh but my more serious theory is that everyone in this movie is dead right because there's a part at the end where I th- Ray Liotta's character or Shirley Joe Jackson tells um, Kevin Costner, like, you know, heaven is a place where dreams come true. And they very deliberately cut you a shot of Kevin Costner looking at his family. And so you're like, okay, well, if his dream as it it's implied is to have a family that he loves, which he has, then ergo he's, he's dead. Right. Cause this is heaven. Um, and Matt, I know you have, someone you've heard something similar um right yeah like i said um earlier the i think the so i so i watched this movie as a kid a lot Uh, i saw it a couple times and then in my adult life i revisited it as part of a um as part of a film class and the, the the theme of the film class was uh great american road movies so it was about movies so What's funny is, uh, I, I didn't say this, but the straight story was the next to last one that we watched mm. um, as part of that class. We did watch, um, was it uh, Blacktop? What's that movie called? It's uh, something Blacktop. It's about the, it's the car movie. It's the old 70s car movie. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Er, yeah, okay. I didn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so um, Field of Dreams was one of them. And I was excited because I'm, you know, big baseball guy. It's my favorite sport. I'm like, hell yeah, it's a, it's a spiritual movie about a sport that I really do take to be kind of like a spiritual experience. Like I said, you know, every time I go to a baseball game, it's like being in church. I kind of equate those two. Um, and, you know, even before I had seen this movie. But, uh, yeah, so I, um, you know, that my class, my, my professor was a film critic. Back in the day, he he was a freelance film critic. No one would know him. He's just kind of like, you know, he wrote, wrote for like more local newspapers. But he's a he's a Catholic, right? He's a practicing Catholic. Mm. And his theory, um, which I think I agree with, you know, is that this movie is, which is weird because, you know, Catholicism isn't really like, you know, it's not, you wouldn't think like, oh, Americana like Catholicism, right? You're yeah. kind of Protestantism. Mm. But he thought that, it's Catholic in that, um, yes, everyone's dead. They're all in um, purgatory, right? And when the voice, which is God, tells... Um, or the devil. Right? Sometimes the devil appears to you as God. <laughs> yeah, so when God, when God tells Ray Kinsella to, build, God. <laughs> to build the field, um, it's, it's because he's got a lot of... Because, you, you know, you, you kind of said it that he's got... He, he, he was really close to his dad, um, but he he goes away from his father, right? He's he's yeah. he, he's really mad at him because he says that he was old before I was born, right? And like at, like I said, as a person, like I don't know if you guys have older parents or not, but I was definitely like you know like my dad was like forty six when he had me, and my mom was forty four. So um, yeah, as a person with older parents, I can definitely relate to kind of like an anger, right? Of like having you know, being old when you're born, right? Essentially. Um, and so he's got a lot of pent up anger and he, he kind of says, he tells him something horrible, you know, leaves kind of whatever. And, and so the entire movie is like him trying to reconcile, um, that horrible thing he said to him, right? Like he wants to take it. 
And, and what did he tell him? He told him Bernie would have won. Wow. <laughs> exactly. He said the American people are tired of women. No, but isn't what he tells his dad is I could never respect someone whose hero is Joe Jackson or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said I can never respect someone whose hero is a criminal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so he thinks he's building the field for um, Shoeless Joe, played by Ray Liotta, but he's actually building it for his father so he can play catch with him one more time. And, you know, he's going through this penance, right? It's like kind of a central theme. He's got to do all of this stuff to, to kind of reconcile and kind of move on. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that reading. I think they're all dead. Um, but uh, Travis, what did you ultimately think of the movie? Five stars for me. Four Steven, me. you said four. Yeah, Travis, how many stars would you think of I it? Think, uh, I think I, on Letterboxd, I gave it a three and a half, just in terms of mm. the, Ooh, the technical aspects of the movie. But I, did, but I did give it I did give it the rare heart on Letterboxd. Um, I did love the movie. I had a great time watching it. Mm. Um, I said before, and I was in my notes, this movie really felt like Christmas to me. I loved just the sort of incessant belief and faith that Ray Kinsella has the whole time. I found it very assuring. Yeah. There's that, there's that aspect of, you know, there's no second guessing at all by Ray. He knows he sees the burning bush. The voice talks to him and he doesn't turn back there that, you know, they, they levy the risk of the bank taking the, the farm and, and destroying the field, but it never really feels like a conflict. Ray's never going to concede and even play on the the same level as the bank or a he know, has the, a stepbrother character. He has a personal he, he conflict even, towards the end there. Yeah, he does. He does. I yeah, um, but no, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah oh, go, ahead. go on. No, you can go. You're the guest, brother. <laughs> I just I found I found the movie to be very very positive and uplifting and a feel good mm. movie that. You know, mo- most movies that are called feel-good movies don't actually make me feel that good, but this one yeah. uh, very much did. Yeah, I, I think it does a couple of really smart... Like, I don't really get into technical screenwriting stuff, but a couple of things it does. Like I said, um, at first, you, you know, at first glance, you can say, okay, Ray Cancelo, he's like, you know, middle-class white guy, family, farm, you know, boomer, like, perfect timing to be an American as far as, like, making money goes. like. But very early on, it's like, oh, no, but he's also a guy who hears voices. <laughs> and then I felt like that brought the character more down to my level. And then I, like, all of a sudden, like I said, <laughs> this movie, I had so many preconceived notions that were shattered when I actually watched it. Um, and another really good technical thing it does is that the inciting incident um, is tied directly to his flaw, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. hearing, if you build it, he will come, like because his flaw you know is like that he carries this like uh hatred of his father yeah he's a burden yeah yeah and he like he never let it go and he never like reconciled with his father and and something's haunting him and then he starts literally hearing a ghost you know um and that's a really that's a really good thing i wanted to shout out some of the cast um wait wait well i just want to go right off of him hearing voices mm-hmm. which one of my favorite scenes in the movie is right at the beginning he hears he hears the voice of god or the devil <laughs> god yeah. and he goes then he it's goes ambiguous. straight to the he goes straight to the farmer store to buy farmer stuff and he walks around going 
yeah so farmers hear things out in their fields right yeah you, <laughs> yeah. Guys, are, you guys are crazy <laughs> you know oh not me i haven't heard anything but i've heard you guys all hear things right you know he immediately <laughs> goes and, like tries to make up this myth that farmers hear things in yeah fields. he's like that's a thing we do right we just hear <laughs> random shit we're all fucked up right we <laughs> farmers right they're all like 80 years old like they've all this nondescript farmer store in a barn <laughs> I love they're it. all like he's like we're all farmers right and they're all secretly <laughs> racist against him because he's irish <laughs> like just the oldest fucking people uh, i want to quickly shout out uh where you go ahead you have to realize too like in the movie which we didn't really you know talk about is that he's a very he's very reluctant. He's a very reluctant farmer. He doesn't necessarily want to do this. It's kind of so everything in his life kind of passes him by, right? Like um, he he says he gets married to his wife because she was from Iowa. The only thing they had in common was she was from Iowa, and he had heard of Iowa, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so and then she's the one that proposes them buying the selling everything and buying the farm. Um, so he's very reluctant in in that regard and he his fear his like the conflict in, within him uh at the very beginning is that he doesn't want to be like his dad he's afraid of he's really afraid of becoming his father and growing too old and never doing well, anything too crazy i would say he's like scared of becoming old right because re- like yeah he's mad at his dad like you said he's he he's said he's his dad mad at his dad for be for being old and so really what's at the heart of that is like, I don't think like, again, we find out at the end, he's not really mad at his dad so much as he's, I think this is like a subtextual thing is that like, he's um, like I said, it's, it's all about the fear of death. Right. Cause I think like seeing his older father made him conscious of that maybe at too young of an age. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, that, that's speaking from a place like it's a very, so, so this movie, you know, is obviously a five for me, like I said, but it's, it's, a, it's a five for me definitely because it's a very personal movie, right? Coming, speaking from a person who had a troubled relationship with his father and who has older parents, right? There is a very prominent thing in, in, in your mind, always in the back of your mind that death is very close, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's too, you're too aware of death at too early of an age because, mm-hmm. you know, with old age typically brings sickness and with sickness typically brings death. So you're always constantly aware of death, even when you're too young to understand what death is. So yeah. no, I agree, Stephen. Cool. Uh, I just want to say real quick, uh, Burt Lancaster, I did, I forgot, like the whole um, road trip part was the part that I don't remember watching as a kid. Uh, so Bert, seeing Burt Lancaster and James Earl Jones was like a real treat. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, these. I mean, Burt Lancaster is fucking amazing in this movie. It's it's like <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. underrated, but it's one of like the most like I don't think he even got nominated for the Oscar, but it's one of the like most effective. God, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like it's a, it's an amazing performance. Uh, also, the daughter played by Gabby Hoffman, who she was like a big um, child star, and then she took a bunch of years off to like learn how to be a person and then uh she came back recently she played the sister joaquin phoenix's sister in a come on come on last year which i fucking love love that movie uh she's also in the uh hbo lakers show she she's fucking killing it in that yeah yeah she plays like an exec or someone who works for jerry bus uh yeah so i i I, you know big shout out to the cast timothy busfield you know of course ray liotta like I love, like, I said, my favorite Ray Liotta moment is when he, like, he's like, we didn't, you know, we told Ty Cobb to fuck himself, <laughs> you know, like, and he does, like, his laugh. 
Uh, and I should say, Ty Cobb. Yeah. Ty Cobb, uh, famous for beating the shit out of a fan with no hands, uh, but also was the victim himself of racism because I think he was uh, of mixed ethnicity. So, uh, so, so funny. Uh, less no- lesser known movie that was a spinoff of this, starring you know, or the it's about Ty Cobb and it's called Field of Nightmares, where Ty Cobb is is called to a field. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like he's like it's like Saw esque. He's like, I'm gonna yeah. fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. Oh, I also want to. Yeah, I also I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that movie and I'm gonna call it the re- a, I'm gonna call it the a, reluctant protagonist. He has to fight a, a, an entire army of armless guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> armless zombies. <laughs> yeah, that's his penance, and it's uh, it, it is Black Phillip. It is the devil's voice, and, and yeah, he's like, yeah. what's now like to live deliciously. Yeah, you gotta admit, bro, it's pretty close. Like, it's it's you know, it's in the same, dare I say, ballpark. <laughs> Funny thing oh, about that, Steelers, that first, okay, that first Travis, you were of, uh, yeah, you were talking earlier about writing notes. I have one note for Field of Dreams because I've seen it a billion times. But my note is: two dogs and two beers cost ten dollars. The most fantastical element in this movie. Insane. <laughs> okay, yeah, wait, I wrote. I wrote ten dollars for two dogs and two dogs and two beers at Fenway. God damn! Yeah. <laughs> um, did you guys know that the Terrence Mann character is based on J.D. Salinger? No, I was trying to figure out who it was that, that yeah. they were. Okay, that I, makes sense. I had heard that. I I don't remember where I heard that, but it was like in the back of my mind. But no, I didn't like actively know that. Yeah, because I. I was really curious automatically, and uh, I was like, uh, "Who is this Terrence Mann figure?" You know, because like I'm a I'm a philistine who hasn't read enough books, uh, and of course I find out he's fictitious. But yeah, he was based on J.D. Salinger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Catcher in the Rye, famously banned book. Yeah, yeah, Catcher in the Rye, a great book read read by some of the coolest people. Uh, <laughs> a guy I follow on Twitter, his name's uh, John Hinckley. He's a musician. You guys should check him out. <laughs> Bro, the the this little off topic, but the Jodie Foster when she was like, I thought it was kind of flattering. I'm like, God, yeah. I love her so much, dude. I was cheering. Yeah, I was like, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Shoot your shot, King. Quite literally. Uh, uh, I thought yeah, the um, band. I thought the band book scene was very 2022, like calling her a Nazi and shit. I'm like, oh, she is a lib because she's calling everyone a fucking Nazi. <laughs> well, she yeah, and then she kind of like talks about. The reason, another reason why I was saying, like, oh, yeah, it's pretty Americana. She's like, don't you guys believe in freedom? Don't, she's kind of like talking about freedom yeah. and the Constitution and, and yeah, all this stuff. Because, like, there's. Don't be a red. Yeah, because there's, there's, uh, there is an element, I think, you know, of like what America should be, right? Like the yeah. ideal, like the fake idealized version of America. And she kind of, like, even though she's, kind of lived in that moment she's very much right you know it's like well oh, yeah yeah if we are a purportedly free country we should be able to have like opposing viewpoints right yeah i just didn't like all the shots at communism this movie took i thought that was very tasteless yeah. uh <laughs> i was like come yeah, on like, man no. well but, she, but, also, she is she, she is shouting at the the person who would talk about stalin you know but, like she's she's speaking in terms that that woman would understand yeah, she's yeah, playing a I, card. 
I, I guess, but she also, I mean, it makes th that like perfectly explains the lib mindset, right? Where it's like, I hate Nazis and I hate communists. <laughs> it's like, all right, so who would you have played for in World War II, you know? <laughs> like, oh man, Woo. okay, but no, this isn't a politics thing we're not but i but actually there there is like a politics tie to the next movie because you know like i you know susan sarandon and tim robbins like classic you know hollywood leftist bernie bros uh like oh, is tim know. robbins too i well i know sarandon is so he must be yeah right? sarandon's obviously so yeah like they're based uh and i thought okay like the couple in this it's like they're kind of based you know like Ah, uh, you know they're they're as based as people from Iowa yeah. and that yeah. time period should be. They, exactly. They're they're leftists in the terms of like the '60s leftists, right? Where they believe in free love and everything, but they're like, well, but like yeah, also sure. let's calm down, you know, peace. But it's but like, I do right. think the political aspect of this movie is very interesting. Yeah, I I think it's um it's like I said, I think it's like this is what America should be. You know what I mean? Like, I think, oh. I think they're, like, talking about kind of, like, the idealized yeah. America, at least. I, I, I want to get both of you guys' opinion on this. So, uh, so in the movie, uh, during the PTA scene, um, she yells at the Nazi. She goes, uh, you're from the – or, or, no, the Nazi yells at her, you're from the 60s or something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the modern-day equivalent, like, if that movie was set today, the equivalent would be, you're from the 2000s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of crazy to me because it it seems you know like it would be basically weird. yeah it's kind of weird but yeah yeah um, final I guess we can we should wrap this one up right build a dream um, yeah uh, well um, I have a couple of more thoughts like I said this is another movie where a man is gaslit uh you love to see it um my my only thing like I like my big criticism was that I thought it was a you know a wee bit like maudlin sentimental at times like. But, you know, it It also made me cry whenever he he goes, whenever, like, the doc is, like, uh, the, old, the old version of the doctor is, like, going into the corn, and he's like, hey, rookie, like, oh, man, calling mm -hmm. him a rookie, like, that, I was, like, bawling my eyes up. It made me, uh, <laughs> it made me pretty, uh, pretty, uh, emotional. But, yeah, those are all my notes. The, uh, the one, the one thing I thought was really interesting is there's a, a genre shift for about five seconds in the movie, and it's when uh, Ray is leaving Terrence Mann's apartment. You know, he hasn't he hasn't gotten him to come on this trip. He's gonna go back and and find Archibald Graham. And there's a there's a jump scare that I jumped a foot out of my seat where he's pulling the van out, and Terrence Mann is standing in the middle of the street, yeah, staring yeah. into his eyes. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. straight out of a horror movie. The way that well, right, was shot. Right before that, Kevin Costner pretends to have a gun. <laughs> yeah, and he um let's just say we forgot to say this Terrence Mann played by James Earl Jones. Yeah. Gay, gives the absolute best monologue. Made me cry. It's the it's the it's the best monologue that's ever been uh filmed. Probably not, I don't know, but I think <laughs> it's it a is. good it's a good one. Or he's like the the constant is baseball. He's got that James Earl Jones voice, you know. It's yeah. like well, no yeah, matter yeah. how many times throughout history, but they will come, right? People will line up down the street and, oh, yeah. you know, we'll, you'll charge them 20 bucks. You can relive your old childhood. Yeah, it's so great. He's like he's reading like, a, he's reading a baseball almanac, like a fucking you can even do, person. <laughs> you, could, you could even do price gouging if you want. Hey. <laughs> he's yeah. like, this will save the farm, right? 
like yeah and then um i, I did want to say too like uh we kind of discussed this on the failed recording but like so so travis you kind of said that he's got like earlier you said he's got like unwavering like this is gonna happen like faith you know and he's got mm-hmm. that burning and he has faith throughout but the one time he loses faith is um or he he kind of doubts the whole thing is you know he's like yeah let's do it and then they ask man to go into the cornfield and mm-hmm. uh ray is like what the hell like i did this entire thing i built this entire thing why can't i go what's right? in like, it for me what's in it for me yeah and then you know shoeless joe's like you don't want to co- like you don't want to come in here with us if that's what you still think right because i think mm-hmm. it's like you're you would go to hell you know like yeah. Terrence yeah, Gaines going to hell holding on to that part that part of you know america and you more than more than the the communal aspect of it then you need to stay here with the field and figure it out a little bit more yeah yeah purgatory like i said you know uh yeah yeah i yeah i don't i mean i don't i don't know if shoeless joe's in hell but like he's i I think he's like in another part of purgatory because if he's coming back to purgatory they're they're all they're all in purgatory because yeah 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 yeah. they because the greek underworld is a better framework to understand this movie in yeah that's probably i would i would agree with that travis yeah it's like they're all kind of like in this middle space where like these regrets. Yeah. And then eventually like they, you know, they kind of all like, cause Archie Graham, you know, he has everything. Well, his thing is that he has the regret that like, you know, if, um, his regret is like, he wanted to play one, you know, he wanted to stare down a pitcher. Right. And, He's like, I just wanted to stare down a pitcher and wink at him and let him know I know it's coming and like, you know, hit a triple essentially was his uh his uh goal. And he learns like in the movie that that's not actually his goal. Like he he realizes that his his work as a doctor was way more important than him playing baseball. But he got to do it right. So like his regret was kind of done. And that's when he's able to walk into the cornfield and leave. You know, and like so he had every- a be- yeah, he had a better purpose. Yeah, so everybody in the movie has to realize like their purpose before they can go into the corn, right? Terrence Mann, he gives the big speech about baseball. He kind of like he goes realized, back to his writing. Yeah, and so he he uh, you know he's able to to pass on, and you know like everyone in the, in the movie kind of is able to pass on at a certain point. Because Terrence Mann is like uh, he he talks about not writing anymore, and then the last thing he says before in the corn is like. What else am I going to I'm a writer. What else am I going to do? You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's classic, like, storytelling. Like, you have a flawed protagonist in order to, you know, successfully complete the third act. If it's a if it's a tragedy, they're not going to learn their lesson and they're going to die. But uh, in a happy movie, they learn their lesson and everything ends happily. And that's what we get here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Great movie, though. Um, yeah. Like, the- like I said, deeply personal uh film five stars but yeah do you guys want to get to the second movie uh yeah let me uh let me do the break welcome every back welcome every back everybody 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Back so, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. So, yeah, let's get into it. Our second movie, Bull Durham, uh, 1988. Uh, Matt, as you said, this similarly. I mean, it's a baseball movie with Kevin Costner, obviously, but, you know, similar themes when it comes to, like, dreams, dreams deferred, dreams unrealized, um, a similar spiritual element, uh, straight up, I'll be up front, I gave this movie five stars, I fucking loved it, I, maybe I was so desperate to see a comedy that I haven't seen before, but, like, <laughs> you know, I, maybe I'm biased, but, yeah, this movie was, like, right up my alley, I fucking loved it, I thought it was, like, I guess I thought it was really funny, I thought Tim Robbins was, like, amazing, uh, oh, yeah, you know, uh, just like great vibes, like really funny. Uh, I thought, you know, symbolically, I thought it was very much a story of like, you know, aligning your mind, body, and soul. Like you can see Tim Robbins is the body, you know, he's the talent. You can debate on who's the mind or the soul. You know, Kevin Costner has that great monologue where he says what I am. And I feel like that like makes him so distinct from Tim Robbins's character, Nuke. And, um, you know, Ostensibly, I guess, Susan Sarandon is the protagonist, and she's kind of, like, choosing between, you know, two different uh, ways of the world. But yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me more about it, Matt. Yeah, so I gave this movie... Uh, I'd give this movie a five. Um, so if Field of Dreams is my second favorite baseball movie. This is my third favorite baseball movie. It's the... Um, which, again, uh, Moneyball. Oh, fuck yeah. Philip so, often shout out. Yeah. Um, so I think Moneyball, tra- like the reason Moneyball is just real quick is I think it transcends um, baseball and just is like a great movie. Like I think people who don't like baseball love that movie, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, which is incredible. But uh, yeah, so this one's great. It's funny. Um, like I said, it's the second pick because it's, it's not only is it spiritual, but it's a sobering look at the realities of the business of baseball. It's about, um, it's so the team is real, right? The, the Durham bulls, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a minor league team in North Carolina. Um, obviously all the characters are fake, you know, there's no real characters. Uh, this one's got more quotes. That I like than than Field of Dreams. So many good quotes, dude. There's so a lot many of one liners um, in this one. Yeah. So Kevin Costner's um, great uh, monologue where he's like, "Who who am I?" He says something that I'm like, "Hell yeah, dude!" Um, he's <laughs> like, "I believe that." Uh, he's like, "I believe that the designated hitter, like, there should be no designated oh, yeah, hitter yeah. in the Constitution." <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I actually wanted to ask about like that speech specifically uh trav i want to get your thoughts but uh real quick uh the only part of that speech that i disagreed with him with uh, on was uh the whole thing about oswald acting alone like yeah for sure and I he's mean, in, we, we, hilarious is he's in yeah yeah, yeah, of course. uh yeah trav what'd you think yeah that that part where uh crash davis says jet fuel can't melt steel beams i found kind of weird yeah, but I was prescient. <laughs> no, the, this is a, a very fun movie. I, I actually, I'd always heard of this movie since I was a kid. I might have seen it when I was really young. I can't remember, but I really watched it with a with a blank slate this time. 
didn't know Tim Robbins was going to be in it. He's always so fun to watch. And especially when he's so young and playing such a space head, you know, meathead, probably a more fitting term. Uh, really, really fun movie. Susan Sarandon was an absolute treasure on the screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just just another great one for me. I, I, I no, start. Let's get star into, we can get into some more specifics, but what was your star ranking, Travis, on this oh, one? Oh, I I didn't give this one a star ranking, but I'd give this one a four, four and a half, probably. Well, okay, yeah. So you guys like? I'm I'm very I'm very very stingy with with five stars. That's fair. Um, you guys really you guys like this one? I think more than Field of Dreams. Um. I yeah I love this movie. It's the only, it's the only uh, one of our well, it's not the only one of our movies that we've covered. But it's like, it's funny that this one's on Criterion. Is all I was gonna say. It's on the Criterion yeah. collection, Criterion channel. You can watch this movie. Um, yeah, but oh my god, the quotes, dude. Like the yeah, I, I agree with you, um, Stephen. The the costume monologue's great, except for the I believe I was one actor one. Yeah, the writing of Susan's tag is pretentious garbage, and then yeah, she's yeah. Like, and then she's so dumbfounded. She goes, "I like some tag." <laughs> yeah, um, I, I yeah, uh, oh man, that was really funny. Yeah, um, th- this is like a very like like it's got Susan Sarandon. I should say we should say Susan Sarandon, uh, allegedly a big pot smoker uh allegedly one of the tribe loves uh younger guys loves bernie she's the perfect woman she's amazing yeah she's awesome super attractive super intelligent in the movie she's she's very intelligent she talks she's like i you know i've tried all the major religions but i believe in the church of baseball and i'm like yeah. I love, love that line oh what i wanted to say was all of the meeting at the mound scenes where like there's one in particular where it's like oh, the meet- one the one towards the, the end is so good yeah, exactly. Which one? <laughs> um, but there's also there's the one at the midpoint that's really long, where it's like where he tells him that he like told the he like he he pisses him off, and so oh, uh, Kevin he, Costner he's throwing off the signs. Yeah, and he tells the batter what the uh, pitch is gonna be, and then he goes back and tells him, and he's like uh, he says something. He's like, man, something that travels that far ought to have a stewardess on it, don't you think? <laughs> yes. Classic. Yeah, I love the one too where he he hits the ball. He's like, yeah, it's a fastball coming. He hits it, and he goes, "Damn, would you look at how far he knocked that thing?" He goes, "He hit the damn bull." He's like, "That guy's gonna get a free steak." I wonder how far Fucking that one amazing, traveled. Dude. Yeah, it's great. He's he's like, you told him, and then like in, in this the one that you were talking about, he's like, you told him what I was gonna say. Right? He goes, "Yep," but also hmm. I like it too because he's he sticks up for him too, you know, because he's like. He's like, yeah, he's throwing a fastball, and he hits it, and he's like staring. He goes, what are you doing showing up my pitcher? I give yeah. you a gift, and you're just going to stand there. Run, mate, run. <laughs> I, I think that's, like, masterful filmmaking, that whole sequence. Yeah, and he's um, yeah, he's great. Um, you know, Crash Davis, right? He's a guy who's brought so – he's, so he's in the organization, right? Um, he's played in, in the, the show, right, which is the big leagues MLB. Um, he wasn't quite good enough. Like he was good, right, in the show, but they said like he wasn't. You know, he's not a superstar, so he can't be in the show. They bring him down from Triple A. I think I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I think it's Double A. Is I think it they say Single A at some point? 
Yeah, I, I just don't remember if this is the double A team or if for sure, or if the single A team is the the one that he plays in at the end to hit his career high. The the he you know he he breaks the record of the most home runs in the minors, which. I love that he, she's just like no sports news ever wrote about that because like, yeah, who, who would, you know, like, why yeah. would you write about that? You know? Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. Um, like I said, the quotes, it's like imminently quotable. Uh, Susan Sarandon's character is great. You know, she picks one player, the whole premise of the movie, she picks one player to sleep with and his stats go up. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mm-hmm. and I do this like selfless, you know, selflessly kind of she has a companion for the season she ferries minor leaguers to the show yeah basically and so um yeah she picks the hot-headed pitcher played by tim robbins right and um you know crash comes down they bring him down to either double or single a to train up right to to make him a big league pitcher essentially so so him and sarandon are kind of like his two mentors guiding him to the show. Um, Nuke, who, by the way, fucks like he pitches. Another great... Yeah, uh, according, uh, to Millie, <laughs> according to Millie, which is also... She's a great character. She's like, my daddy donated the scoreboard, you know? <laughs> she has sex with all the, the baseball players, except for the... Went at the end, which is great. Yeah, the Christian guy, he marries her, and they're all talking. They're like, oh, did you tell, like him about her and then crash is like hey don't anyone bad mouth millie right like i'm, yeah. I'm like that a lot it shows his character you know that's um, very sweet yeah so i my favorite lines I, I did two quotes besides talking about the uh besides his monologue um he tells he tells nuke he says strikeouts are boring besides that they're fascist throw some balls it's more democratic i love that yeah <laughs> which is great and then he tells him at the end, he says, the, uh, the world was made for people with no self-awareness. Mm. Which I was like, damn, I feel that. Yeah. Because <laughs> Crash, he's like, you've got to, he's like, God literally sent you down like a lightning arm and gave you all this God-given talent. You're so stupid, you're squandering it away, and you don't even know that you're squandering it away. You know, and, and um, he's upset because, you know, he's like, I was born, like, I was made self-aware i realized that i'm a good enough ball player to be a tradesman at it but not a good enough ball player to to make it in the show yeah yeah might so, be a good manager a tragic character in that regard i think the you know when when the end you know he's called into when crash is called into the office and he says it's the hardest part of any manager's job yada yada organization wants to change basically you're released you know, I, mm-hmm. I think when he says, you know, there might be a manager, or I put I put good word in with the organization that you'd make a good manager down the road. I think that's yeah. a consolation. I don't I don't really see at the end of the movie Crash pursuing. You know, he says he's going to go check out coaching jobs. I think he's done with baseball, in my opinion. Uh, I, I I have a little pushback on that. I think he, I think he slightly disagrees because. Sarandon, you know, he's like, "Do you think I could make it to the show as a manager?" And she starts crying, and she says, "I think you'd be great." I think he, I think he will be a manager, um, just because he knows about baseball and he he loves it, right? Like it's his. So a lot of like failed players, you know, they'll become managers um, or people who are just too old to play, you know. Yeah, uh, will become managers. But yeah, it's a great movie. 
There's a lot of great lines in it. It's really um, funny. The mound visits are incredible. The, the, the announcer, <laughs> yeah, a... uh, the announcer for the game sounds. This is a wrestling reference, so you probably guys might not get it, but it, he sounds like Dusty Rhodes, who is like this old wrestler. He, he the guy who's like, uh, oh, we got two hours. Two, two, two down bed at dead at the third inning and daddy we's about to get him oh oh yeah you know like uh like this like weird southern accent uh he's a good old boy yeah for sure yeah yeah it's super funny uh like i said yeah tim robbins and susan saran and go left his couple uh also like i like the idea of minor league baseball in theory like because like like i said like Baseball has the most relatable guys because, like, you could theoretically look like David Wells and pitch a no hitter. Like, mm-hmm. that's very powerful. Whereas, like, with like, I'm a huge basketball fan, but like, th- they're like gods to me, you know, more than people. It's like the difference between DC and Marvel, right? Like, um, basketball is DC. It's all about gods and goddesses, right? Whereas, mm-hmm, yeah. uh baseball is marvel because it's about real people it's about spider-man it's about a nerd who you know can't satisfy his girlfriend and like have a career and deal with the green goblin at the same time that's that's baseball to me well i i, mean, I, I think so I, yeah go ahead travis i was gonna say I, I grew up in a in a town with a where our biggest or we had some basketball but we, we had a good uh triple a semi-pro baseball team or uh, minor league i should say not the same thing um good triple a team and it, it was always fun you know we we'd watch the watch the river cats play and then sometimes we go see the giants they'd be bringing a guy up from the river cats he'd be either play really well really bad and then we go see the river cats a couple weeks later that guy might be back on the roster you know you just kind of follow these players being brought up and down so it was fun to see guys you know try out the show see if they have a really good debut really really bad so it's kind of fun to see this story behind the scenes of, of what goes on in the locker room, yeah. the relationship between players and the sort of training and camaraderie there. I love the, I love the coaches too. Like the, the coach that was a player who was a pitcher and he's like, oh, cause yeah. Crasher, oh. like, yeah, I hit a bomb off of you or whatever. Right. Played, I like that played guy. By the, he is for played sure. By the like, great, uh, played by the great Robert Wool from a uh, Batman in 1989. Yeah, yeah. Really also our he played Arliss on an HBO show called Arliss. He, he was like a sports agent. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah he's, man. He, he's old school baseball. I love it. He's like, come on. Yeah, no no problem. Crash, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and he's like, you know, yeah. chewing on tobacco or whatever, spitting sunflower seeds out all the time. He's like, come on, Crash. No, yeah, don't shake it off, Crash. Come on. You know, like clapping. Yeah, yeah his, old... dugout, his dugout yelling is great. Yeah, he's the perfect dugout yeller actor, I think. Yeah, right. uh, like I said, yeah, like I said, Robert Wool, like, if, if you like his sports work, uh, he he was he was in an HBO show back in the day called Arliss, and it's like he plays a sports agent, and it was kind of like a it was a it was like a punchline for a long time, like like a lot of sitcoms would be like, oh, what are you doing watching Arliss, you know? But it was it was a good show, and I uh, just wanted to shout a shout out Robert. That's a, I like the scene in the bath, like when they're all taking showers and stuff, and he's like, well, they're kids, scare them, you know? And he comes in, he's yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great scene. Sissies coming around here and flaunting it. Well, he's like, you guys lollygagging. Lollygaggers. Yeah, he's like, what would you call that? Whatever the guy's name is. Like, Steve? He's like, lollygaggers. Yeah, they're lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it sucks also because, like, that one guy gets released because he's, like, can't hit for shit that season, you know? 
And that's true. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like the sobering, like, there's a lot of like Matt, like Susan Sarandon kind of talked about like the magic of baseball and, and everything, but there's, there's sobering elements. Like, you know, they're people, you know, they're, they're going to have slumps and, and, you know, some people aren't good enough to be baseball players. I mean, in that scene where crashes in the bar, you know, and he's like, you know who this guy is? And, yeah. you know, he doesn't. He's like, this guy's a, like a fucking amazing baseball player. And no one knows who he is because he just told, toiled in the minor leagues, which is what happens, apparently. Yeah. You know, like, it's a, it's a more common occur Because, you know, you watch an MLB and you see these guys, right? And they can kind of struggle. And some of them are good and some of them are bad, whatever, whatever. But, like, the amount of players who are in the minor leagues making, like, you know, less money than... You, they would do like literally anything else, you know, just playing baseball and, you know, there's no safety net there. They're just playing this, this sport and to the, the best of their ability, but they're, you know, even if they're legends on the minor league field, they're making pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Even if they're legends, you know, they're not going to, it doesn't necessarily equate to them being the most successful because, you know, there's some, some guys who are like, Oh yeah. Like this guy's just a really good player, but he's not, you know, he doesn't fit in with the organization. Like, we don't need him to – we don't need another shortstop, you know. Like, we don't need a – we've already got three shortstops. And so this guy will just toil in the minor league system forever. And, you know, it's it's sad. It's very sad. But it's it's a, it's a bittersweet thing, I think. You know, I, I once the film ends, right, like, I think that, at least in my opinion, Crash does become a manager and – you know, he, he has got a good shot of be making it to the show as a manager. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, speaking of the bar scene, I love that Costner um, carries around a baseball with him wherever he goes, apparently. <laughs> he just, like, busts one <laughs> yeah. out. And he's like, here, throw this. He's like, where the fuck are you? You just carrying around a baseball everywhere you go? <laughs> also, <laughs> what's up? Yeah, just a baseball just in his inner inner pocket of his jacket yeah yeah like which is i also want to say dope ass bomber jacket by the way yeah very cool very cool bomber jacket um he reads i love this without pictures in them he reads books without pictures in them pictures in them oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i love the scene where they sneak onto the field because like if you notice like every player has his own six pack and, like, that's really the way to do it, you know? Like, if you're hanging out with friends, everyone gets their own sixer, you know? Yeah, exactly. Man, baseball seems so cool. Like, <laughs> I say that because, like, in theory it sounds cool, but then, like, I worked with this guy who was on a minor league baseball team, and he was just kind of a douchebag. And, um... <laughs> yeah, pro, pro athletes, man. That's all. I, I always, yeah. Well, he would, Sorry. like, leave work for, like, eight hours at a time, and people would just, like, cover for him because he would be at baseball practice. I mean, I don't care, but because I would, you know, like, you skip work all you want. I don't give a shit, but, you know, he, he was, like, other than that, he, he was just, like, you know, he liked Drake a lot. I don't know. I didn't really fuck with him. <laughs> One of those guys. And, and what's funny, though, is, like, you think about baseball players, right, and you think about minor leaguers, and, um, you know, one of my buddies was telling me that, you know, he was – his church like had a softball league and he, he played on the softball league at his church and they signed up for a, uh, they signed up for a tournament and it was like a last minute tournament that they, you know, for them to play any games against any other teams that kind of were like last minute slotted in. And, and these softball tournaments are also like a weird thing where 
ex minor league players like who couldn't even make it in the minors will go and play for these these teams where they'll get sponsor deals right um like you know like Gatorade or whatever will sponsor these teams to go and play in these tournaments and these teams are like these washed up baseball players that will come come in according to my buddy drunk as shit like like absolutely pissed like they'll they'll drink like a 12 pack before going on the field and he's like and the love the difference in level is insane because you think like oh minor leaguers right they're not major they're what they couldn't even make it in the minor leagues he's yeah, like and yeah. you play against them and he said they can put the ball anywhere they want he's like they're so fast and so strong and he's like you can't score against them like they're just like you know up like in the second inning they're up fucking 12 nothing because they're just hitting fucking home runs constantly mm. well that's so that's one thing i noticed about uh bull durham was i mean the movie i think shot baseball a lot better than i mean it shot more baseball than field of dreams did but it, i think the the actual movie was a little bit more faithful to the you know the, the game itself there was more baseball played in it mm-hmm. but uh but yeah, just just on what you were saying, Matt, when when Nuke first gets on the gets on the diamond, he's throwing all over the place. You know, he, he's got the power, but he can't aim for shit. This guy never would have made the team if he was actually pitching. Like, but they they over exaggerated, inaccurate his pitches were. I mean, he he never would have been brought on the mound as a, as a starting pitcher with that arm. Well, the they they bring him up right, so he gets signed. I think I'm pretty sure he gets signed out of like you know, high school or college. But the yeah, funny yeah. thing about it is that like, <laughs> this is so funny to me. Like, I don't know why, like, this is really hard to do, but um, they're like, he's got a cannon on him. He can throw 95 miles per hour. Right. Which is like, <laughs> not <laughs> like you should it's be, fast. <laughs> but it's like a fastball. Like literally every, like every pitcher now has to throw over 95 miles per hour. <laughs> like in, in yeah, 1980, yeah. In 1988, it's like, wow, this guy can throw 95 miles per hour. It's like, yeah, these guys are throwing like 101s now, you know? Like, yeah, but he, so you don't see the strikes. So he, he can apparently throw, so he, he's, he sets a minor, a new team record in both uh, walks and strikes. So, mm-hmm. um, but you don't see that when you see him pitch. He, yeah, he's so, he's like comically inaccurate. Yeah, we um, also said that. Yeah, in that game, he he hit like eight off, you know, eight, eight things that were like in the stands or something. Eight concessions. I forget what it was. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was like he hit. They hit eight home runs off of him, but also like or, or something. Yeah, something like that. He yeah, eight eight people got hit in the stands, and then it was like, um, but he struck out like a you know more than that. So it's like he's he's good enough to where he's like a their best picture, but also like their worst picture at the same time. Yeah. Wait, here it is. Yeah. It's he walked 18, struck out 18. He hit the sports writer, the public dress address announcer, the bull mascot twice, all new, <laughs> all new league records. Yeah. Uh, I, want, I want to say, if you guys like this movie, there's a uh, documentary from 2014. It's on Netflix. It's called the battered bastards of baseball. Um, it's about this independent team. Um, like they were the port, they're the Portland Mavericks. Uh, they were owned by Kurt Russell's father, and I, I think I believe the movie is narrated by Kurt Russell. Um, but yeah, it's about this like independent baseball team who like 
you know, they weren't in the majors, but they would like go play all kinds of people. It's really good. It's really good if you like that like whole like minor league vibe and shit. Cool. Uh and Kurt Russell, you know. But yeah, final thoughts. Um, final thoughts for me. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad I could introduce you guys to the movie. Um, like I said, I'm a big baseball fan, so these are two very personal movies for me. Um, I, I believe that baseball is the most cinematic sport. Um, boxing is also cinematic, but I, I believe baseball is, you know, film better. It's very contemplative. That's why I like baseball. There's a lot of time for thinking. It's a slower sport. Um, someone called it the writer's game, which I, I think is pretty um, telling, right? Because it's, it's a, you know, a lot of great pieces have been written about baseball. Some of the older sports, it's got a lot of history. Um, yeah, and these two movies both, like Susan Sarandon's character in this one, very spiritual, believes in baseball, thinks that baseball, like, like her entire, like being, she's a, a fan of like Walt Whitman and, and philosophy and, you know, and she teaches English. She's a professor, an adjunct professor at the college. Um, she yeah. teaches comp and, and literature. Um, she's part-time because she wants to go to the baseball games, right? And she's very contemplative and, and you know, she loves, she loves the sport. She loves the hero making that the sport happens. And that's something that I think both of these movies, um, you know, to finish out my long tirade, both of these movies do extremely well is, which is taking the spiritual aspect of baseball that I've always kind of like felt, you know, just watching baseball myself and then putting it on screen in a, in a filmic language that people can understand. So yeah, two, mm-hmm. two great movies. Yeah. What about yeah you? I, I, uh, you know, before watching these two movies, I would have said I, on my own time, I'd never watch a baseball movie. I, I it, it, doesn't appeal to me for some reason i you know i grew up watching baseball but it's always been one of those sports that's the least accessible i feel like there's such a history there's such a a nuance to the game that i can't just you know watch it for athleticism like i can any other uh, other sport there's it's such a technicality so i went into this like oh baseball movies absolutely loved both i am a fan of baseball but not not a diehard absolutely loved these movies. Kevin Costner surprised me as an actor that I actually enjoyed watching in both of them. I thought he was compelling. He played two very different characters. Uh, yeah, he was great. He really, he really impressed me. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he was really awesome. The rest of the cast were, were amazing. Ray Liotta's eyes in that first scene that he's in in Field of Dreams. Whew. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved both of these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend bull durham to to friends who haven't seen it yeah yeah and like i said it's based on a novel uh i'd like to read it uh my final thoughts like i said it's brilliant like talking about like triangles in films you know it's like the perfect like love triangle i guess um yeah you know because it's like two guys that ostensibly get along and are like helping each other but like you know they're still fighting over the same woman um it's just a great movie about guys, like guys being guys, literally, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like guys being dudes like th- this really is what like men are like, like you can literally like fight over the same woman, punch a guy, talk shit about him, and then the next morning still be OK, like because, you know, like they they go through all that shit at the very end and then 
you know, even even with all that, like before Nuke leaves town, Kevin Costner, you know, crash catches up with him, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, makes sure that they're all good before he leaves. You know, he like settles the score or whatever. You know, Tim Robbins, like you know, they all <sighs> they all come together in the end. Um, yeah, it was really beautiful. I thought. Yeah, and that final. And, uh, that final quote by Nuke where he says an old friend told me and he quotes both the coach and crash. He says, you know, it's a game where you throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. Sometimes it's good or sometimes blah, blah. Sometimes it rains. Mm-hmm. And then he ends with that beautiful. Think about that for a while. I yeah, mean, that's and such a, it's such a beautiful, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. You know, he's being the same space head goofball guy, but. Yeah. It's, it's such a great ending to the movie. And I, yeah, and I love like the, his parting advice, which is like, at the end of the day, it's all about arrogance and fear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like that's a really good way to look at life in general, you know? It's like equal mix of like arrogance and fear. Um, but yeah, great movie. Uh, Kevin Costner. I'll have to do a deep dive and watch all the Costner movies I haven't seen, which is actually oh, a watch lot. Cup. Yeah, I gotta watch Tin Cup. I gotta watch uh, Have Never Seen Dances with Wolves. You don't have to watch any other Kevin Costner movie besides um, Yellowstone, the TV show. Oh, Yellowstone is good. I want to see the um, I, I want to see the Sam Raimi baseball one because it has uh, for the love of the Riley. game. Yeah, so for the love of the so this double feature just like again like I you know said final thoughts, but I was a liar. Uh, this double feature was going to be. If you hadn't seen it, it was definitely going to be Moneyball, but I like the I like the spirituality in it, yeah. you know. And then I was like, if honestly, if you wanted to do another double feature, you could do for the love of the game. But for the love of the game is not spiritual. It's not about you know. It's not. It's definitely not about like he has a major league picture. It's about it's a mm-hmm. love story. It's more of a love story than a baseball movie, honestly. I thought these were both great picks. Sweet. Yeah, speaking of great picks, with that said, Trav, Travis, the whole reason we had you on the show, uh, not the whole reason, but part of the reason, <laughs> you know, you're next week's, uh, your next week's special guest as well. You're going to be here, and you're picking the movies for next week. So we wanted to have you on. You know, we love having people on just to, like, talk about our, our movies and our pigs. And, uh, but, you know, we also want to get people in there to pick, pick stuff for us and show us stuff. And... Uh, you know, you you had mentioned like you had had something up your sleeve or you know whatever, and like I said, we're we're super stoked. We wanted to have you on. We wanted to have you like here to like present your movies for next week, and I'm super stoked uh, to see what you have. So, Travis, what are the movies for next week? Yeah, so I, I made a I made a little last minute last minute adjustment to my double feature here. Um, Stebs, I think you've you've probably seen both of these. I don't know if together, but hmm. um, Matt, these should be good for you. They are, in in any order, Apocalypse Now and Aguirre, The Wrath of God by Herzog. Let's fucking go, dude. So, yeah. So, initially, yeah. instead of Apocalypse Now, what I, had, what I had watched last year, just by chance, and it ended up being a very, very fitting uh, double feature, was, was Harvey Keitel, Bad Lieutenant, and then Aguirre. But I oh, think yeah, yeah. I think a little I... bit a little bit better aesthetic connection. You get, so you still get that same megalomania, Apocalypse Now, and Aguirre. Sweet man, I, I'm super stoked. Like 
Apocalypse Now, I mean, both of those are sort of riffs on uh, Heart of Darkness. Like, uh, that's like a favorite type of genre. Like, that's like a favorite genre of movie, like movies that are like uh, based on that story. Like, you know, Searching to the Heart of the Jungle. Uh, man, that's like, like I said, I also recently bought the special edition, like Apocalypse Now 4K UHD disc. And I've been meaning, like, we also got a new TV. So I've been meaning to, like, you know, bust it out and, like, pick the perfect night to watch it. This gives me the perfect excuse. Apocalypse Now is one of my favorite movies. It's it's amazing. I'm I'm probably also going to go back and watch the documentary, Heart of Darkness. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, you know, his, his wife made about the making of the movie. Uh, yeah, and Aguirre, Wrath of God, Werner Herzog, the, the, the goat, man. He's the... Yeah, Herzog and Klaskinski together. There's it's there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I I met Herzog once. He's he's amazing. Matt, what do you think? Uh, perfect. I've never seen either of these movies. I've only heard good things about both of them. Um, you know me. I have like weird gaps and oh yeah, classic, we all do, yeah. Yeah, everyone's got. You can't see everything, but I have weird yeah, gaps in film stuff. So yeah, I've heard good things about both these movies. Um, I'm excited. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and when I'm watching them, you know, think about how they tie in as a double feature and everything thematically, I guess. Um, are, are um, are, Travis, are we watching are, the, uh, director's cut of Apocalypse now? I think I will. Okay. Yeah. I mean, too. I, I, I mean, at the end of the day for this podcast, there'll be stuff to talk about which, whatever version you watch, but I think that's the version I'll go for. Okay, so Director's Cut, Apocalypse Now, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Um, Travis, you said either order's fine. Uh, we do like to kind of just keep it in like a, a certain order. So do you want to talk about Apocalypse Now first next week, or do you want to talk about Aguirre first next week? Yeah, why don't we, why don't we go Apocalypse Now first? Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm excited, dude. I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen either of these. Um, I've only heard good things about both of them, so... And I'm yeah. just really excited to smoke green and watch them all over again. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so great. excited to watch the gear. I've been I've been trying to find a reason to, but there's so much to watch, and I've been on a, a movie drought, and so I'm I'm excited to to finally have a reason to rewatch a gear. Yeah, no, I I was super because I knew you were a Herzog guy, so that was a big reason why you know I was like excited to have you on because like I was like, oh man, I, I, I like hope was hoping you would pick a Herzog so we can get into him because he's he's just one of my favorite guys. Like, man, what a what a cool guy. And then you were talking about like Bad Lieutenant. Um, he wasn't in the Harvey Keitel, but he was in the remake. Or yeah, he, he did the remake. Uh, he he directed yeah. the remake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with Nick Cage. Uh, which is we, such a good movie as well. Yeah, we, we love Nick Cage. I, I, I want to get Matt to watch Bad Lieutenant in New Orleans one day too. <laughs> that should be a double feature. Is just both of the bad lieutenants. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> not, not I, I, I'm stoked to watch. Like, yeah, I, I'm stoked to go back to Apocalypse Now because, like, I don't know. I've always thought it was like, it, it's like, man, it's like, it's a movie that I want to make. I want to re- like. I don't want to remake it, but I want to make my version of it. You know what I mean? Like. Well, I mean, such... Heart of Darkness is an endlessly adaptable story. It's, yeah, exactly. it's in video games. It's in other books. It's in so many movies, TV. You can you can rewrite that story as many ways as there are words. Yeah. So yeah, I'm stoked to get into it. Uh, with that said, thank you everyone for listening. 
I don't think we went three hours this week. We didn't break <laughs> another record. Uh, but yeah, everyone, thank you for joining us, and uh, see you next week. Thanks, Thanks guys. You guys.